Do you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success. You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw, and if you can't tell, my voice is a little rough and I've got bronchitis, so I'm going to keep this short and I'm going to share with you an interview that I did on another show just recently. It's the most fun I've ever had being interviewed. I mean, we covered so much stuff and it was a long interview, so I broke this into two episodes for a little easier listening and consumption for you, but I have one action plan from both episodes, so everything that I share, uh, Leica broke down and put into an action plan for you. And you can get that by just going to jimharshawjr.com slash action, and you can download that. And what you'll find in this episode is, is I talk a lot about my story, but also dealing with failure. I talk about finding work-life balance. I talk about how you can follow your passion. I talk about all these different things. And um, we just cover such a wide variety of things. I think you're going to really get a lot of value out of this. So without further ado, this is my interview on a show called I Love Seville, which is Charlottesville, but it's called I Love Seville with Jerry Miller. Here we go. Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville show. It's Jerry Miller. It's great to be with you on a chilly, chilly Thursday here in Charlottesville, Virginia. We are live on the I Love Seville network across Charlottesville, Central Virginia, the Commonwealth, the country, and the world. Jim Harshaw, our guest, entrepreneur, father, podcast host. This gentleman is very dynamic, a renaissance man, if you may. We're going to welcome him to the program in T-minus 45 seconds to spotlight his journey as a former All-American wrestler. Um, as the youngest coach at the time in wrestling in, in college athletics, 26. He's been a TEDx speaker. Um, I've watched his business grow firsthand. Someone who undoubtedly understands how to leverage social and digital and mobile to build a power brand. T minus 45 seconds for Jim. We are an advertising agency here at I Love Seville and VMV Brands on the first and second floors of the Macklin Building in downtown Charlottesville. We represent hundreds of clients, two of our favorites, Interstate Pest and Service Companies, and Dr. Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Chiropractic and Sports Medicine. We represent all aspects of those brands. Interstate started in 1969 with the first generation of the company, Mr. Robert Wells, who has since passed away. He used his personal truck and sweat equity and pay phones around Charlottesville to build a business. Today, the company has four generations of family working in it and almost 100 employees, a Commonwealth-wide working footprint, truly a success story. Dr. Wagner, another one. Dr. Wagner started his business with himself and a couple of chiropractic assistants. Today, six chiropractors at Scott Wagner Chiropractic and Sports Medicine, physical therapy, sports medicine, chiropractic care. He is building a behemoth. In fact, the number one chiropractic office from a production standpoint in the United States of America. 
right here in Charlottesville, Virginia. All right, Judah Wickhauer, you're the director. My friend, you and I have worked together for seven and a half years. Why don't we start with the studio cam and then go to the two-shot and welcome Jim Harshaw to the program. Good afternoon, Jim. Yeah, good afternoon, Jerry. Good to see you, man. It's good to see you, too. The last time we were doing this was on television yes, on, NBC on NBC 29. That's right. Um, I think it was the Cavalier Wrestling Club. Yes. Is that memory That's right. That is exactly right. You have uh, wrestling and, and competition and uh, being the best version of yourself in your blood. Um, I would love to get to know what makes Jim Harshall tick. Man, uh, you know, I, I grew up a, a blue-collar kid in western Pennsylvania, first-generation college, you know, uh, going to college, getting a college degree in my family. Uh, wrestling's in my blood, and, um, you know, and then I come to University of Virginia, and that place just opened the world up to me. Um, so I'm, I'm just, I'm a hodgepodge of tons of different experiences, and I think that's what qualifies me so well to, to coach, right, to be a, a personal performance coach is just... You know this this blue collar background, going to a, a great top school like the University of Virginia. I've been a business owner. I've been a leader. I've been a lot of leadership roles as youngest Division One head coach in the country, as you mentioned at, at the time at Slippery Rock University and. Uh, multiple-time entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur. I uh, was a fundraiser at the University of Virginia in athletics for seven years, major gift officer. So, man, a lot of those things make me tick. And then, uh, and then the, the number one thing that makes me tick is my family, you know, wife and four kids. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me. We have a lot in common. Let's talk West Virginia childhood. Uh, what was it like? Uh, Virginia. Oh, is it Virginia? Uh, Vir- well, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Childhood, man. Uh, Dude, it was, uh, um, you know, a lot of splitting wood. Yeah. A lot of hunting. Yeah. Uh, a lot of snow. Okay. Uh, outdoors and a, guy. And a lot of wrestling. Outdoors guy, man. Yeah. Like, that's one of the reasons why I love Charlottesville so much is like it's so so easy to get outdoors here. You know, you got the mountains just a half an hour to the west, so we try to get up to the mountains. Uh, we like to get up to the mountains more than we do. Uh, we're, we're spending our, our weekends at soccer games and baseball games and and gymnastics events and whatnot with the kids these days. You have three kids? Four. Four, Four kids of them. Yeah, out. we What's got a pile. We got a boatload. So six <laughs> through 14. Wow. So the boys are, are 12 and 14 and the girls are six and nine. So yeah, it's a, it's a busy household at the Harshaw home. Say, you got an <laughs> army there. So yeah. how would you characterize uh, Chowder? Would you say a uh, good one, tough? How yeah. Would you yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Just a lot of love, uh-huh. uh, a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, you know, we weren't allowed to rest on our laurels, but... Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of work. Um, like I said, blue collar in, in rural area, and but yeah, I mean, just just a, a great childhood. You know, my parents always wanted the best for us, and and gave us you know the opportunities just to, to improve ourselves. And um, you know, thankfully, I, you know, I found the sport of wrestling, which really opened up doors for me. I was a hard worker in school, uh, not so smart necessarily, but I worked hard enough to get good grades, uh, and, and I was good enough of a wrestler to get into the University of Virginia. So um, man, that just uh, that opened the whole world to me. If you guys would like to relay some perspective to Jim, just put it in the chat box of the 12 Facebook page. Yeah, let's hear it. Scott, Scott, is it Hadante? Uh, Hanty. Scott Hanty Hanty. is watching in Maryland right right, now. He says he comes from an awesome, awesome family. Five different states are watching the show. Ed Brown Mm -hmm. says hello. Dana Thiel says hello. Yeah, Dana. Um, Just worked out with her husband, Bob, this morning. (laughs) 
Give it a like and a share. Okay, talk to me about um, migrating to the University of Virginia. Yeah, okay. So let me mention, uh, so Dana Thiele, uh, her husband, Bob, I don't know if, if you've got to get the F3 guys on, uh, yeah. on here sometimes. So F3 is this awesome workout organization. Uh, it's totally free, open to all men, and there's a bunch of us that work out all over the city of Charlottesville. Um, anyway, so shout out to Bob. I know Dana, Dana's out there watching. So um, anyway, your question, you asked me, sorry, was it about University of Virginia? Yeah, so you go to arguably the number one public university in the country as a as a talented wrestler um it's very for those that are watching that don't know very rigorous just i went there just being a normal student i can't even imagine doing it as an athlete and then also balancing academics yeah what appealed to you about uva so i should mention it was number one when we went to school and i think maybe since we graduated maybe they kind of look at us on the alumni list ah maybe we gotta bump them back a little bit if jim and jerry can go to school there uh but yeah so i was uh you know, I was generally a successful high school wrestler, but when I got to UVA, I was like, I was the low guy on the totem pole. Like everybody that I was, you know, teammates with, they were all state champions or multiple time state place winners. And, and I was just kind of a guy who, who was above average. You know, I, uh, I never made it onto the podium at the state championships. And I thought to myself, you know, man, I hope I can make the team, you know, it'd be cool if I can actually wrestle and compete all four years, maybe break the starting lineup at some point. Uh, redshirted that first year, got the snot kicked out of me at practice by uh, Mike Kraftchik, who was an All-American that year, and there were like six guys in my weight class, so uh, I think I was number six out of six. And then um, just worked my butt off, and then uh, that's all I really knew how to do. And so my, my, my ne- the next year, uh, I made the starting lineup. So now nice. I'm the starter on the Division One college wrestling team. And and I uh, had a decent season there, you know, but I had set my goals. I was like, man, if I'm the starter, I, I want to be an All-American, which is top eight in America. And... Um, Set my goal to be an All-American, but first you have to qualify for the national championships. So I qualified for the national championships as a, as a freshman, which was pretty exciting, but I got there and just bombed out, right? And uh, junior year had the same goal. I mean, I got to make top eight All-American, right? Get to the national championships again, bomb out, you know? Junior year, pretty much a repeat of the prior two years. And, and, and you know, this, this goal of being an All-American just, you know, seemed so unattainable to me. You know, at the end of my junior year, I remember going to the locker room, sitting there with my face buried in a towel in tears, thinking, like, like why can't I do this? Like, what's wrong with me? You know, am I not good enough? Am I not smart enough? Am I not capable enough? Or, like, maybe it's just not in the cards. Maybe just Jim doesn't have what it takes. And I... uh I went that whole off season, Jerry, I, I, I traveled to summer wrestling camps, like high school wrestling camps. And I was a camp counselor and I just found as many people to train with as I could. Right. So I go to all these different universities and uh, Naval Academy and, and George Mason and Virginia's camp and on and on and on. I uh, went to the Olympic Training Center, trained out there. And, and I was asking these Olympians and these elite performers, these elite athlete wrestlers, I was like, what am I missing? Right. Do I got to get stronger? Do I got to get more flexible? Do I got to what do I have to work on? Right. And I went through that whole set. That was my mission. So that my senior year, I had a shot at being an All-American. And, uh, and I never found the answer. Like, literally, I, I went into my senior year. I remember I was, it was the night before the West Virginia Open, and I'm in the hotel room, and I'm like, well, crap. I never, I never found it out. I never figured it out. What's missing? Like, what's missing for me to reach my full potential? And I, I literally gave up. I gave up on the outcome that night. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to compete as hard as I possibly can. The goal is still there. I'd love to be. But you know what? If I get there, if I get great, if I don't, I'm going to sleep at night knowing that I'm just giving my, giving my best, right? And, uh, and I woke up the next morning. I lit the competition up. I went 5-0 and, oh and had this great day. And I was nice. like, man, that was fun. 
And, and I continued to wrestle with, with, with no pressure the rest of the season. And I just compete. I focused on the process, not the outcome. And, and I had so much fun that season. And I focused on my diet. I focused on my, you know, what time I went to bed. I focused on, you know, what, you know, if I'd watch film or not, making sure I broke down film with my opponents and weight training and re- rehabbing injuries. And I just focused on the process, knowing that that's what I can control. But I don't control the outcome. I control the things that lead to outcomes. And, and I, lo and behold, I get, to, I get to the national championships and I beat the fourth ranked wrestler. I beat several guys before that and then I'm beating the fourth ranked wrestler in the country wow. and on the number one ranked team in the country. And, uh, and I'm an All American. And I, I came away from that experience thinking, like, wow, I think I just discovered something new, but realized, didn't realize that this is like the basis of performance psychology. Like, this is the basis of sports psychology is focus on the process, not the outcome. And, you know, for those of us here in Charlottesville, we hear Tony Bennett talk about that. We saw them do that, right? When they lost in, you know, lost in the first round a couple of years ago, and then they go on and win the national championship. The process is the same. Yeah, you have to learn from your failures, but you have to focus on that process. And so that was, you know, I, I learned a tremendous amount in the classroom. My experience at UVA uh, as a student was phenomenal. Uh, I learned equally as much as, as a student athlete, you know, uh, in the wrestling room and on the wrestling mats and, and from my coaches and, you know, going through the pain and suffering that it, that it takes to, to be a student athlete at that level and to see, succeed at that level. And uh, man, what a, what a, you know, what a blessing that's been. And, and that's, that's really the underpinning of my, my, my coaching philosophy. Now. I can, I can see why you were a hell of a coach. I literally have goosebumps. Is that what you saw? I, I have okay. a goosebumps from that story <laughs> here. I like to talk about um, kind of like the trials and tribulations. And yeah. we get seduced a lot, especially in the entrepreneurship world, of this being this like sexy endeavor. We get to make yeah. our own schedules, you know, right. your own boss. We'll leave that to a side. Sure. And we'll get to it. I want to hear about the hardships, uh, and you've touched on it, the hardships of being an All-American, what, the sacrifices that you had to make to get to that point, yeah, tangibly. It, yes, yeah. So, you know, um, we see the basketball and football teams and, and we go, man, they travel and they have to go to a, a, a game on Saturday or a game on a Tuesday night or something like that in Miami. And then they fly home and they've got class the next day. Well, as a, as a student athlete in a, in a non-revenue sport, it's the same thing. Only you don't get the, the charter flight home. You know, you're taking, you're taking like the minivan, like the, you know, or the bus home and, and you're, you know, you're getting home two or three or five hours later than, than even those, those athletes. And, and not to take anything away, obviously. It's just, it's just a, a little bit of a different experience. But, um, but it's hard, right? You, you, you're showing up. You're rolling back into your dorm room or your, your, your apartment at like two in the morning. And you got an eight o'clock class and you got a test. And, and you, have to, you have to be there. You have to show up. You know, University of Virginia is a place where they, there's accountability. And you actually have to go to class. And, uh, and you have to take the test and, and, and you have to take them on time. And, and so that was, that was a, a huge lesson for me, great experience. And I'll share this experience too. Um, I lost, uh, they, they've changed the weigh-in rules. For those moms out there watching and you don't want your kid to wrestle I was gonna ask you hear you about these weigh-in stuff, yeah. like, yeah, it's like all the weigh-in rules have changed. So this is like back in my day kind of thing, right? So This is the so cut back, and weight topic, this, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Back in my day, uh, you could lose a lot of weight and then weigh in and then hydrate and eat food and go to bed and wake up the next day and then compete and, you know, could recover. Uh, you can't do that anymore. You stay, you, you weigh in one hour before you wrestle. That's really? high school college. And so the, all the weight cutting stuff that the, that those nightmares are all gone, which is great. But, um, but my junior year, 
I lost, uh, and I'm going to say this, and some people are kind of going to roll their eyes and probably click off this this broadcast because they're going to think I'm lying. But but those wrestlers out there know that this is possible and it's true. I lost 22 pounds in two and a half days. Get I took out. it was just this. It was water, right? I just sucked the water weight out of my body. Um, and my body grew. Uh, I was a late bloomer. I grew through college, and and I was just in a weight class. I couldn't make weight anymore. So uh, lost the weight, stepped on the scale, you know, hydrated, ate, drank all night long, and you know, recovered for the next day. Well, I never really fully recovered. It was an awful, awful experience, worst experience of my life in terms of physically, you know, going through that. And uh, the next day, I remember uh, we flew home. This was in Dallas. We we flew home and. And I actually told I was about to tell my coach that, hey, I got to bump up a weight class because I can't make weight anymore. And But unfortunately, the guy who was a weight class above me, we were both ranked like 15th in the country. So you had to have us both in the weight class or ha- had us have us both in the, in the lineup. But they end up, um, they had, literally the NCAA in the middle of the season for some other reasons, they, they changed the weigh-in rules. In the middle of the season, they added seven pounds to every weight class. And, uh, and I ended up staying in that weight class and, and things worked out. But, but uh, I tell you what... Um, that was a, a trying experience, you know, going through that, that, you know, use the term pain and suffering. And I'll, I'll, I'll re- re- reference uh, another student athlete who, um, who I was good friends with, a guy named Mike Fisher. He was the NCAA soccer player, national soccer player of the year when, when I was in school. And uh, Mike said, you know, if you're willing to go through some pain and suffering, you can be good at anything. If you're willing to go through pain, enough pain and suffering, you can be good at anything. And that really resonated. That was like two years after that, that weight losing loss experience for myself. But, but that has just stuck with me. Like if you're willing to go through pain and, enough pain and suffering, you can be good at anything, like anything you want. Right. So, um, and I, it's just an experience I carry with me as well. How do you cut 22 pounds? In yeah. That short so amount of time. You, you just, you don't drink any water, right? You don't put any fluids in your body and you just work out with sweatpants on and sweatshirt and hat and, you know, time in the sauna. You can't even, you, legally, you're not even allowed to sit in saunas anymore to make weight for wrestling. I mean, that's, that's a taboo. It's, it's just a thing you're not, you're not allowed to do. It's an NCAA rule. Um, but that's what you do. I mean, st- I mean, stationary bike. Think about this stationary bike inside of a sauna Jesus. and you've got sweatpants on, you know, two, three layers of shirts on probably two pairs of sweatpants, two, three layers of, of uh, up here on top. You got your hat, your you know, winter hat on and you just sit there and you ride that thing and you just ride, you to ride it's until you can't ride anymore. And then you get off and you sit for a while and you just, ride. you just have to keep your body moving. You just got to keep sweating, keep sweating, keep sweating. It's, it's hell. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, but that embodies what. Fisher said to you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and, and that was, that, it was a crucible experience for me, right? To know that uh, I carry that with me, knowing that I can go through, do really, really hard things. And right. then, gosh, and then on, you know, flew home Sunday, Monday, class, right? Uh, nobody cares, Jim. Nobody cares what you did on Saturday, what you did on Friday to make weight. Uh, you just got to show up and, and go to class. That is an amazing journey. When you get to the pinnacle and you become an All-American at the University of Virginia in wrestling. What's going through your mind then? Oh, man. You know, it's 15,000 people. The rest, national wrestling championships are one of the top, uh, top grossing uh, revenue um, national championships of any NCAA sport. I think they're fifth, and um, fourth or fifth. And, and so it's a big venue, right? And for me, it, it was at Penn State University, uh, at their Bryce Jordan Arena up there. And so that's close to home for me growing up in Pittsburgh. So my, you know, my high school coaches were there. All my friends were there. Of course, my parents were there, family, my sisters. And, and it, was, uh, it was just a fun, it, it was just this, this, this amazing experience for me. This, it, 
you know, what I carry with me is that lesson, that lesson of, you know, focus on the process, not the outcome. But, but man, in the moment, it was just, uh, it was elation, right? It was, it was, um, it was hard to believe that that moment that I had visualized for so long had actually come to fruition and I was there and I was doing it and I was living it. And yeah, I just remember walking off the mat. So I always visualized that moment as this like, yeah, you know, like run around the mat like this, hands in the air. But it was literally a, I was so exhausted I had spent every ounce of energy to, to beat this kid, and I just laid there on the mat, and I just struggled to get up to one knee, and then I looked over at my coaches, and you know the referees had to confer about something at the end of the match, and I came, one of these, like, thumbs up or thumbs down? Like, did I win or did I lose? I couldn't even stand up and like, hey, what happened? What's, you know? It was just like, thumbs up, thumbs down. They're like, you got it, and I got one, I got my hand raised, and then I jumped into my coach's arms, and you know, mom and dad came storming down out of the out of the upper deck, you know, and, and cheering me on. So it was, uh, it awesome. was just, yeah, it was a it was a great experience. But I will say this, uh, you know, let's say I don't get that last takedown, and, and the match goes into overtime, and I lose. Does that change who I am? Right, and, and, and this is this gets back to you know, kind of putting on my coaching hat here, per, uh, performance coaching hat. Is like, you know, does that would that failure? have changed who I am? Gosh, I'd like to think that it wouldn't, right? It may have, right? Because I don't have that All-American plaque, which is who knows where it's at right now. I don't know. But it's like, you know, uh, nobody cares about that anymore. But what I carry with me is, is those experiences, right? Um, but but I, I, you know, I really encourage people to not, not think of, of their failure as, as, as a reason why they can't achieve success at whatever it is. Right. And, and, you know, I was lucky enough to get that last takedown and then I got on the podium and that was a cool thing. Um, but that was, yeah, it was a, the moment that I reflect back on, you know, um, in, in, in that regard. So much to unpack there. How about this question? When you're an all American in baseball, maybe football or basketball, the future is probably really, really bright yeah. from a professional standpoint sure. or an earning standpoint. Right. What is the future for an all-American fourth-year UVA wrestler from that particular sport? Yeah, I mean, I signed a million-dollar contract right after <laughs> national championships. Got my shoe deal. You know, went on to fame and fortune. Um, uh, you know, what it opened up the doors that opened up for me were, were getting into coaching. I, I had offers to coach at the Naval Academy and some other University of Pennsylvania um, right off the gate. You know, I had opportunities to jump into as an assistant wrestling coach. And I actually didn't do either one of those. Interesting. Uh, I didn't take any of those offers. I uh, was friends with a guy named, am friends with a guy named uh, Tane Nix, Christian Nix, who was a four-time NCAA champion soccer player at UVA. And he, he was living in Guatemala at the time at a meditation center. And wow. he's emailing me like pictures. He's like, man, this place is crazy. It's cool. It's like I go on all these adventures and it's on this like lake that's this collapsed volcanic cauldron at elevation of the surface of the lake was like 5,000 feet with just amazing right so I'm like I'm gonna go on an adventure so I uh went home painted houses for a few months saved money living at mom mom and dad's packed up a backpack and, and I backpacked through Central America and just went on these these grand adventures for three months I had zero itinerary uh, I actually flew to Houston, took a bus to uh, the the Bra- to Brownsville, Texas. Took How much a- money did you have in your pocket? I had about three grand saved Get up. Out. You know, that is and awesome. So not a ton of money, but no. it's like it was enough. You know, and I got so I was like, you know, I was literally traveling traveling on chicken buses. I was staying in hostels for like five six bucks a night. Um, just the time, you know, the opportunity of a lifetime to do this, yeah. right? And. And it was great, you know. So I took a cab across the border into Matamoros, Texas, uh, uh, Mexico, 
and and it was game on, man. And I just hopped from town to town, village to village, uh, all through Mexico, down through Guatemala, met up with Christian, with Tay Nix. Um, spent about three weeks at that meditation center, just hiking volcanoes, and actually did some scuba diving down there in that volcanic lake. Um, and then we headed off to Honduras and spent a, you know several weeks just traveling down through Honduras and Belize, and then kind of looped my way back up and uh, just just you know experiences with you know shaman medicine men and you know scuba diving in a volcanic cauldron, you know uh, scuba diving out off of Honduras and it, at night, you know. Um, Hiking into you know active volcanoes up into cloud forests and um, just experience after experience you know it was uh, it was awesome. What did you learn about yourself on this trip? <sighs> what did I learn about myself? Because what are you twenty two twenty three? Yeah, I'm twenty. I guess twenty two at that time. Yeah, and uh, I real you know that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. You know what I realized? Wrestling didn't define me. God. Wrestling because nobody cared. You know, all American wrestling. Who cares, right? Uh, wrestling didn't define. It had defined me for the last seventeen years, and and on this trip, you know, no one cares who you are, what you did, what you're about. You know, you're just on this adventure, and you know, I, you, you, when you're backpacking like that, there's a whole there's a whole you know culture of these people. They're out there right now, like as we sit here in Charlottesville doing this interview. There, this there's this whole world, this whole culture of backpackers out there. You're never alone. Like I was rarely alone, right? I mean, even when I'm on like a chicken bus somewhere, you, you like stop at this little village and some, you know, couple gringos jump on the bus and you're like, man, you know, where are they from? And they're from, you know, America or Canada or South Africa or Europe or wherever, right? And there's people and they're, they're all over the world doing this. And, uh, and nobody cares what your background is, right? You're just there, you're in the moment. And, and it, you know, it taking, just soaking up life is deeply and richly as you possibly can. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's what I learned from that. Uh, Pennsylvania is watching here. Susan Lynn Ennis. I'm so yeah, proud of Ms. you. Ennis. Jim Marshall. Uh, yes. Michelle Babuski. Yeah. Watching right now. Yeah, Jim, Michelle, you are awesome. Goodness. Such a stand-up Flashbacks. guy. Mark. My peeps. Patinisky. Yeah, Patinsky is a high school wrestling watching teammate. Watching right yep. now. Roger <laughs> Voisinet, who's on the TEDx committee That's here right. in Charlottesville, is yeah. watching. Clint Sponsler. Yep. Um, Joy Pittsburgh Smith. F3. Yeah. Uh, give it a like, give it a share. I count six states watching the program here. Throw this to you. Um, wrestling did not define you. I struggle with this. So 11 years, started this business in 2008. Yeah. Been doing this for 11 years and change. Um, Two businesses, the advertising agency on a lot of this building, real estate investment. I have struggled with entrepreneurship and being this business owner and, and bricks and brands defining who I am. Yeah. Then I met my wife, and then really I, had, I watched my wife deliver our son. Mm. Things really changed once our son came into the world. Gave me perspective. Um, so where I'm going with this is, when, when you put so much sweat equity and time and effort and set so many goals to make something like being an all-American wrestler or trying to run a business in the black and grow a business constantly, it oftentimes you get blinders on and it clouds your judgment in some ways because you need that razor focus to be successful. But that razor focus, while it creates success on what you're focused upon, yeah. distracts you from everything else that's going on in life that maybe certainly matters more. Throw that entire topic to yeah. you. That's that's the that's the the foundation of of where my my coaching program came from. So I was, you know, 
the same way, right? We all deal with it, like in, in, in some way, shape, or form, especially if you're an entrepreneur, especially if you're an athlete. Like you have this identity that's aligned with that, right? And then if you if you fail or you somehow lose that, it's like, who am I, right? And I experienced that. So uh, my first business was a success, sold it. Second business, it wasn't, right? I raised angel capital locally here. And I remember both. The first yeah. business was Cavalier Window Cleaning. That, uh, that Albemarle right? Window Cleaning. Albemarle yeah, Window Cleaning. Right. You sold it to the guy who uh, does Advantage Handyman. That's right. And he's trying to build a vertically integrated company yep. in the home space where he offers a lot of services, and it's run by an admin office that is able to support all of it. That's right. You now, got it, man. The Good second memory. one, I think it was, um, it was more of a tech online play That's right. that it was geared to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, optimizing um, athletic programs. Was it from an efficiency or financial standpoint? Uh, both, mostly okay. financial and, okay. and marketing, you okay. know, social media marketing. I would love to hear these two. Yeah, so, so you know, the, the first business was the, you know, was home services, like yeah. window cleaning, power washing, gutter uh-huh. cleaning, that sort of thing, and had 10 employees, three crews on the road. I ran it from home. I did the, you know, customer interfacing whenever I had to, but I uh, had an admin answering all the phones, and, and it was great. Uh, wasn't my passion, but it was, it was a, it was a fun business to build and, you know, just learning through the school of hard knocks. You were young. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, I was, I like to call it young. So young gets that number for young keeps getting older, sure, of course. you know, I'm 43 yeah. now. So yeah, I was young. I was 33 or so, okay. you know, 30, you know, or maybe even younger than that, 31. And, uh, that was great. You know, learning, just learning how to build a business from scratch and then sold that, started this other company. Riot Sports Marketing. That's right, and uh, and it had some traction, but not enough, not enough to, to to feed a growing family. So I had to I had to pull the plug on it, and I realized as I as I was building that business, I had put everything into that. Right, I like you know said no to like my family and my relationships and my health and like everything, you know. And I got to a point where I was literally as I was closing down the business, kind of looking for a job saying to myself, like, like, how did I end up here? Like, like, you know, failed business, you know, not, you know, healthy relationships really is, is it's the level that I should have, uh, wasn't, you know, you know, physically, I was probably the most unfit I'd ever been in my life at that point for an athlete or a former athlete. Like that was not a good feeling. And I was like, well, you know, I had, you know, two degrees from the number one school in the country, all-American athlete, former Olympic hopeful, like all these great things, all these, you know, youngest division one head coach in the country and started my first business. That was a success. Like everything I touch is supposed to be successful, right? Get the Midas well, touch. Yeah, I get the Midas touch. And, and here I am broken and, and broken, you know, and thinking like, like how did I get here? And, and what was, you know, I, I reflected on what was in place in my life when I was competing at the highest level. And what am I missing now? Like, what are those pieces? And everybody says all these great lessons you learn from sports. And like, so how do I, how do I take those? What are those lessons first? And how do I take them and plug them into my life? And, and I did that. And it changed everything. I mean, it changed everything. I mean, I, I started focusing on my family. They became the number one priority in my life. Actually, God became the number one priority in my life and, and my family right there with them. And, uh, and, and, you know, got healthy again, ran a half marathon. That's when this, then I, you know, did this TED, gave, you know, got selected to do this TEDx talk and, you know, income tripled and, and just changed everything in my life. And so I ended up starting, that was around the same time where I started this podcast called Success Through Failure and interviewing, you know, New York Times bestselling authors and billionaire investors and astronauts and Navy SEALs. And, and I come to realize like this framework, like this system isn't like a gym thing. It's like this universal 
framework for living life well and performing at an elite level. But, but here's the difference. When you're an elite athlete, like you can have that single-minded focus. And entrepreneurs, Steve Jobs had that single-minded focus. He mowed down his relationships, right? Denied a child that was not even, that was his, wore right? Wore the Just same clothes every day. Wore the same clothes every yeah, day, right? Yeah. Single-minded focus, but that single-minded focus doesn't work in the real world. Now you got kids, you got a family, you got business, you want to be healthy and fit. Like you've got a million things pulling at you. And so you have to choose which are the right things to focus on. You can't just choose one because then you end up with, you know, broken relationships or, or your health goes to, 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 to the toilet, you know, like everything falls apart. So, so that's what I've done with this framework is, is create this framework of living. And I, that's my, the basis of my, my, my coaching is, is is living this balanced life with, with clarity, with balance, with consistency and doing the things that we know we need to do, not just in one area, like not just in our business or not just in our health or not just in our relationships, but in all of them, right? And living this balanced life. So yeah, um, I don't even remember where we started that question. But, no, it was yeah, amazing. Went off on it. So. It was amazing. Louise Long <laughs> in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the program. Nice. Bellamy Brown ran for city council. Welcome to the program. Right. Dr. Downey, thank you for watching. Ryan Goodrich, we have Austin, Texas and Miami, Florida currently watching the show. We'll thank some of the folks that are giving commentary. Roy Rudy says, this is a great, Boy. great dude. He's the uh, man. If you'd like to relay any perspective to Jim, just put it in the chat box here. Broke and broken. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the, uh, the headspace at that time. Yeah. Because the gym I know yeah. is like confident. And like the gym I know, the energy comes into the room with them. You uplift people. You're, motivate, you're a motivational guy. The gym I know has vision. The gym I know is a freaking winner. The gym I know has the people around him, and you make the people around you better. You know, I've known you not Appreciate extremely that. I like well. that guy. Ten years. Jim Harshall <laughs> I know is a badass. <laughs> I mean that. Appreciate that. I mean that. Yeah. Broken, kids broken. That, that I used to be like, I used to be somebody. I would say badass if it was your kids. <laughs> right, It'd be right. a great dude or something right, like that. Right. Broken, broken. Tell me about the mindset. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate all those kind words, but um, the, the truth is like when, the truth is everybody has these moments. True. And that's like, that's my whole mission in the world is to like pull back the curtain on really successful people. And that's what I do on my podcast is pull back the curtain and go like, look, this, this person who is all those things that you just said, like positive, confident, successful, all these things, and you, you pull back the curtain, you go, oh, okay, so their life is actually real too. He's like vulnerable. they actually, they're vulnerable. He's, they struggle. Has fear. They have fear. They have fear. They have self-doubt. They have this little voice in their head that they have to battle with. And, and mo- nobody sees that, right? We say, hey, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Okay, well, so-and-so's, so-and-so's fine, right? Well, most people are fine. If you ask them, how are they? Well, fine. Yeah, good. Well, you know, they're struggling with something. Everybody is struggling with something. And in that moment, I, I mean, right now I'm struggling with things. But in that moment, it, it was especially clear what I was struggling with. It wasn't, you know, wasn't balanced in my life, in, in every area of my life. None of them were in a good place. And uh, that was a hard place to be. But I'm, I'm so thankful for that experience because that experience has led, you know, first it's been just an education for me. And, and, and now I'm able to share that and, and, and help lift other people and carry other people through that. Right. And, you know, I work with some pretty amazingly successful people. I just got off the phone, um, before this with a, a New York times bestselling author, um, for your podcast. Yeah. For no, for coaching. And I mean, I'm talking to successful people. They all have their challenges, man. They all struggle. I mean, I've coached Olympians and, and have former NFL players and, you know, neurosurgeons who are killing it and you just go, man, they're, 
they're challenges, right? Everybody has those challenges. So, and, and that was, that was a particular, I, I have them now, I'll have them for the rest of my life, I know that, um, but I, that was a particularly tough moment. Kevin Higgins has a question for you. Kevin, we will get to this question hey, in a matter of moments. Before we do, I'm going to throw this to uh, you. North Carolina, I think. How does, did having the Midas touch cloud your judgment in any capacity? What I mean by this, you are an All-American wrestler. Um, you're the youngest Division I wrestling coach in NCAA at 26. You s- start a business exit the business successfully. In a lot of ways, the dream for an entrepreneur is to exit successfully a business. You're launching your second business, serial entrepreneur, and as you're launching your second business, how did having that, that, that success cloud your judgment by chance? Yes, I think it did, especially in, that, in the business side of things there. It was like, you know, well, I started my last business, and, and it was, listen, it was hard, right? And, and, and I had to work my tail off and invest a lot to get it from zero dollars in revenue up to where it was when he sold it. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, when I'd started this other company on the side and, and yeah, I, I thought it was going to be easier Easy sailing. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, I feel like, I feel like most things are like that. It's almost like when you look back and, and if you knew going in how hard it was going to be, a lot of times I think, I think I'm speaking for myself. Maybe it's like, Man, I don't, I don't know if I would have gone into it. You would have done known, it, right? right? Had I actually known, right. but thank goodness that I yeah. that I did it, right? And and even in my business now, I mean, I built my my coaching business and podcast and speaking. I built that on the side. You know, it was so hard. You know, it took took years to build to the point where it was a it could be a full time thing, a viable option for me. And um, would I have would I have done that had I known it was going to be so hard? I don't know. I'd like to think so, but uh, but it, but it's hard. You know, yeah. So did that cloud my judgment? Um, probably. Um, you know, having gone through a lot of failures as a wrestler, I kind of knew that failure was always, always, possible. you know, always possible. Yeah. And, and I will share that pops one quote into my head from one of my podcast interviews with a world champion wrestler, a guy named Jaden Cox. He said, he said, once I realized that failure was an option, it took this huge weight off my back and I could compete at my highest level. Oh, tell me about it's like that. failure. So he came to this realization that like, you know, that we always say, ah, failure is not an option. Well, actually it is right. And, and when you realize, when you, when you become okay with that and understand that, well, failure is an option. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. doesn't mean, you know, uh, I have to lose my identity that we already talked about. It just means that that's, that's a real possibility here. I'm not, planning on it, of course. But, but once you kind of embrace that and go, oh, okay, well, well, what if failure did happen? Well, I guess I would be okay. I would be okay, right? Kind of Tim Ferriss has the fear setting uh, experiment he talks about, right? And, and when you do that fear setting and you go and you evaluate, like, what are the worst, what is the worst case scenario? If I fail at this, uh, you know, am I going to lose my home and my family and my job and no one's going to love me anymore? And, you know, I'm going to die homeless, penniless and 20 pounds overweight as Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live used to say. Uh, well, no, it's like, you know, the, usually worst case scenario is something far, far less than that. Right. And, and so, you know, so once you once you come to that realization that that failure is an option, it allows you to take this this pressure off and put it aside and go. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm still have my goal, my clear goal, and I'm gonna work towards it, knowing that you know failure could happen. But man, I'm gonna put everything I have into it. And when you focus on that process, 
and let go of that. Have the outcome in mind, but let go of it. You know, Stephen Covey said, uh, um, uh, start with the end in mind, right? You start with that end in mind and then you focus on the process. You build the process and that's what you focus on. And then hopefully you get there. And, but if when you come, when you become okay with, with what could happen potentially, it, it allows you to be fully yourself and be free and authentic and put your full energy into something. We have a couple questions coming in. This one's coming from Kevin Higgins, watches the show routinely, says, love this interview. I'm curious for your guests, what role does passion play in success? Is it something you can obtain or does it just come naturally to people? That is that's such, a good question. That's a great question. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the thing. Everybody thinks that, that passion is just like you have a passion, right? And there's only one course for you in your life. It's your passion. You have to follow it. And if you don't follow it, then you're not living a great life. Well, it's like, no, that, that's not true. Like you can, you can create passions, right? I have a friend who uh, he, he's passionate about uh, playing the game of bridge. And he's, you know, if not world-class, he, he's, he's one of the better players in the country in the United States. And, and he discovered that passion, you know, in college, right? Well, like, well, what if he didn't discover that? Is that his only path in life? Well, no, it's not. So, um, so passion plays a role, but you also have to give yourself the opportunity. Yeah, you have, everybody has passions, right? We all have some kind of passion, but, but give yourself the chance to try other things, to try new things, to, to experiment, right? It's like, okay, well, I'm passionate about the line of work that I do, um, but maybe there's something, but I'm not fulfilled. Well, try either, try a different line of work, try, try a different company, try a, a different coming at it from a different angle. Um, you can do all these sort of, it's called prototyping experiences. It's from a book called Designing Your Life. Um, can't remember the podcast episode number on top of my head, but I interviewed uh, the, the authors of that book, Stanford Design Professors, and they talk about this. It's like these prototyping experiences where you go have coffee with somebody who's doing what you want to do or something you think, ah, I'm kind of interested in that. Maybe it could become a passion. It could become your life's passion. Um, so you don't have just one passion. Go try something new. Go have coffee with somebody who's doing what you want to do. Go read a book on it. Go shadow somebody for a day or an hour or something like that and, and go test and sample different experiences and you might just find there are other passions out there for you. Um, that said, uh, to do hard things, yeah, it has to be connected with your goals have to be connected with your values. In the real world nowadays, you see so many people setting goals based on, not on their passion, not on what's in here, but they set goals based on what's parked in their neighbor's driveway or what they see on social media or what they see in the mass media, right? Not on what's here, right? What they care about, their core values, their principles inside, their passions, right? And, and when you set your goals and align with those, then, you know, Failure is an option, and, and, and that's quite all right because it's not going to affect you. You're going to keep on going. You know, failure doesn't change what's important to you. Tim, Tim Monk has a comment for you. Jerry, we're watching at our law firm in Nashville, um, Tennessee. Um, we're on our lunch break. I love your show. Um, I'm UVA class of 2010. I'm itching to get back to Charlottesville. Can you ask your guests um, if you have to, speaking of passion, if you have to make your profession something you're passionate about? Okay, I'm going to cut it off right there. A little bit of a cliffhanger. I'm going to answer that question for you in the next episode. Cut this into two shows for you just for your listening convenience. And as I mentioned, you can grab your copy of the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. As you can hear already, I share some things that I've never shared before publicly. And I think that uh, 
What I share as an answer to this question, as well as some of the other questions that Jerry asks, is going to be really helpful for you. So I encourage you to listen to the next episode as well. Until then, as always, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success.